Hello and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. I'm your co-host, Renaissance Marie. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a fan of the Lavender Menace because I, I re-listened. Hitting us up on Twitter and whatever, being like, oh my god, this episode is so good. And we're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it it so, really was. It, was. it was pretty good. Banger after lie. banger after banger. Like, for real. Like, it was just so... <sighs> so I don't know how we're going to top that, but, you know... Topping. <laughs> Topping is very apropos to the shared media that we're going to talk about today. Very, Please. it'll be a full circle moment. Uh, so everyone listening early, early on in the episode, remember, topping. Keep that, topping. file that away keep in your it, little noggin. So... <laughs> <laughs> Today we are doing our typical three-part series of, you know, a hot take. And today we have a hot take who from a patron on our Patreon. It was a very lovely message. Excited Ooh. to get into it. And also you can support us on Patreon if you want to. And if you can, all of this podcast shit comes out of our own pocket. And there's like a lot of fees involved. So, yeah. if you want to help us mitigate those costs, we would appreciate it. And also, you get access to early content, bonus content. Like, we have some fucking hilarious bloopers from our last episode. That mm-hmm. Because, like, we were hit, almost hitting the raw footage. It was, like, what? Like, three hours and a half? Like, three and a half it was, hours? Like, yeah. It was, it was bad. It was, yeah. It was a big one. So, we had to cut it down. But there were some parts that I kept in for the Patreon bloopers. Anyway, then we go into the second part of the podcast where we discuss a piece of shared media. And, obviously, if you've seen the title by now, you know that we're discussing Saving Face by Alice Wu. Is, what was her name? Yeah. Okay, directed by Alice Wu. Uh, came out in 2004. And then at the end, we will be giving each other media recommendations, as usual. So, uh, Renaissance, do you want to read to us the patron's hot take submission? Yes. This hot take is submitted by L, and their pronouns are they, she. It says, hi, Renaissance and Sunny. Which I always find it so funny. Who puts whose name first? I don't care. I think I even call us Sunny and Renaissance, but I just love to see how... <laughs> how people what... refer to us. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. Hi, Renaissance and Sunny. I'm a little really high while typing this, so please paraphrase <laughs> whatever you may need to. <laughs> I have no idea how my stream of consciousness will flow. Anyway, I am hoping that you guys can talk about this on the podcast, but lesbians should be allowed to hate men. Uh, too long to read. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we continue, though. I know you guys have talked about this when biphobia discourse was brought up, but I'm hoping you guys will kind of expand. <laughs> Our fucking legacy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm hoping you guys will expand on this, and I want to ask if you guys think misandry is actually harmful or even real. So, quick story time, and some context for why I have been thinking about this for so long. I was out with my friends the other day. We're all queer in one way or another, and three-fourths of us are people of color. One white person. The middle-class white girl friend. She stays because it's been decades, and, you know, we've fallen out already in high school, and she's, like, fine 90% of the time. Anyway, POV, you're me, and I just paid $9 for a burger, and I'm trying to not feel guilty for that, and one... And one of my friends and I are making fun of men for ordering frappuccinos at Starbucks and saying shit like, quote, men shouldn't be allowed to eat strawberry ice cream, end quote. Like, silly shit. Anyway, one, the one white friend is like, 
Um, gee, this is so annoying, and hating men is just as harmful. You're adding to these false narratives. Blah, blah, like, babe, <laughs> men created all these terrible systems, including toxic masculinity. Like, is it even possible for my hatred of men as a non-binary lesbian of color existing in this hellscape of patriarchy to be damaging? The same way misogyny is to women, parentheses, no! Next paragraph. I love this. I'm just really enjoying this. Anyway, <laughs> on a nicer note, I only started listening in December, but I love listening to what you guys have to say and just love listening to other lesbians. Like, heart. <laughs> and I cannot believe you guys are so are also communist fifties. I'm so so glad I found this <laughs> podcast. Such a niche Ooh, little sweet niche. spot in all the media I consume. LOL. And then forgot to mention I go by L and pronouns are they she. Thank you so much, L. We appreciate it. Uh, oh, and with the whole like whose name goes first, Renaissance or Sunny thing, for me, mm-hmm. I always put Renaissance first because R goes right before S in the alphabet. And usually, like, if I don't know how to list a series of names, I'll just go in alphabetical order, which is why on the podcast, like, if you see search us up on Spotify or Apple or whatever, you'll see, like, the creator name under the Loving Menace title. It'll say Renaissance and Sunny. Uh, That's usually how I go about it. But I try to keep it – I try to switch it up in terms of the order that I mention us in when I write the captions for the different Mm -hmm. episodes. I always go by syllable. So shorter name goes first by syllable. Mm, mm. Sunny, two syllables. Renaissance, three syllables. That's just me. Anyways, in the comments of wherever you read this, let us know how you how you refer to us. Or if you don't have, or if you just switch it up. <laughs> you don't have a preference or... Yeah. yeah. How do you think of us? How do you think of the podcast mm-hmm. co-hosts? <laughs> but let's get into uh, Elle's hot take slash story time about misandry what do, what do you think sunny i mean i think i know i think everyone knows what you think <laughs> you had a you had a viral tiktok sound saying I exactly what did. you think about i this. did because no like i think hating on men is always a sleigh it's mm-hmm. always um i mean when i do it I don't know about the rest of you. Like, <laughs> I think sometimes people will be like, oh my god, it's so cool. Like, again, this goes back to, again, the biblical text that is our biphobia episodes, where people will complain about hating men or whatever, but it's like, you're not living that lifestyle. You're not walking yeah. the walk. Yeah. If you talk the we talk, have you haterism walk walk. in our heart. In our bones. Well, like, that's... Okay, we, that also we bear the me... cross of misandry, and we're allowed to because we don't date men. We don't fuck with men that way. Exactly. So I was gonna say this reminds me of not to shout out my gender theory class. I have a feeling that y'all are gonna keep hearing about my gender theory class every mm. week until mm. it's over. But <laughs> in like one of the guys was like, "I'm sensing a lot of like anti male sentiment <laughs> in the feminist movement, and I think that they should really get bad to being like." And, like, being against sexism, not being against, like, men and, like, being mean to, like, me or whatever. No, wait and, a minute. And they Who talk created about, like, sexism? Please! Exactly. Who does sexism benefit? Like, and, Jesus. But they always talk about as if, like, get, I'm, I'm using the language they use. So they always call it, like, an, anti-male sentiments is what uh-huh. they're calling it. Uh-huh. And they're talking about, like, like... Basically, they just think that, like, men aren't the center of the conversation and they're getting really butthurt about it and everyone's like, how do we mitigate this? And I'm just like, first of all, that hasn't happened yet. Why are you mm-hmm. asking, like, men have, have ever been 
anything but a degree off center mm-hmm. in this entire the time. World. And two, why are you trying to like fix that? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who cares? First of all, I also have talked about, I thought this was funny, I too have made fun of men for ordering Frappuccinos mm. um, yeah. at Starbucks yeah. because that's yeah. the coffee shop that's on campus. Yeah. And one time I saw like a, a, a just a, a man, like a, a, tr- a man, uh-huh. walk up and get like a white mocha Frappuccino with the whipped cream uh-huh. on top. And I have to say, <laughs> if I wasn't already a lesbian, that would have given me the biggest ick. I would have been like, <laughs> men, it's a wrap. It's crap for you. Like, if you're a man and you are at a coffee shop, the only thing that you should be getting is a dark roasted black coffee. Like, and creamer, the Americano, sugar, nothing else. Like, creamer yeah. and sugar. And you're... That's not you're for You're a man. Man. Just <laughs> any man, really. Even if you're gay. If you're gay, you either have a pink drink or a black coffee. <laughs> and that's, that's all that I'm giving you. Like, that's uh, truly it. Like, a yeah. man or... Like, because my drink, if I have to, caramel macchiata, right? Upside mm-hmm. down, of course. If I order that, or I heard the man in front of me order a caramel macchiato, mm-hmm. I'm burning down that 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 establishment, personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I understand. I anyways, see. what what... What do, what do you do? You have any other thoughts on on misandry? Also, I don't I don't think that I think it's good. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's good in a funny way. Like, don't go around like yeah, trying to like get yourself arrested for like assault of like just beating up men. <laughs> but like, make your silly little jokes. Like, I don't uh, care. Yeah, no. Within the cultural like sphere, when people talk about how women are oppressed and men oppress women, and men oppress everyone who isn't a man, and that is the nature of patriarchy. When you make those observations about the real world around you, people are not comfortable with that because they don't view it in that manner. They don't have that worldview. They don't have that framework of looking at the world, which is why, like we said in our last episode, theory is important. It provides you a framework and a basis of material knowledge and understanding to be able to perceive the world in a manner that actually makes sense because a lot of y'all a lot of you bitches don't make any sense when you say shit like oh misandry is just as harmful as misogyny like what do you mean because that is exactly the sort of talking point that extremely misogynistic men like men's rights activist type people will say these motherfuckers who think that women are always lying about getting assaulted and how oh, like, you're gonna ruin this man's reputation and his career or whatever, right? Like, there's a whole activist group around that that is a reaction to the cultural reaction of, like, hashtag me too or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. because of that, we see in the civil courts, like, right now, there are these men's rights activist groups that are basically trying to challenge civil rights law that protects people on the basis of gender that, you know, people will pursue instead of criminal cases of like rape, sometimes will pursue a uh, civil rights sort of case. So like if you like a Title IX department or office, that's civil law, not criminal law. And it's basically saying like you violated my civil rights by not allowing me equal access to these things due to my gender, due to gendered violence. That's sort of, that. that's what it means to be in the civic court. And so men's right activists and like, you know, actual misogynists, people who actually hate women are using their lobbying power and their political power to be like, actually the civil rights law in terms of like protecting 
people from unequal treatment that needs to apply to men who are accused because the accused are getting their rights violated <laughs> like like there is some sort of twisted yeah. logic like that there's some articles and stuff that you can read up on if you want to um alexandra brodsky she wrote she wrote like this whole book about the way that mras are trying to like dismantle the courts and also she was interviewed quite recently actually by uh, a journalist named maybe amanda chen i'm forgetting i'll like link it in the description of the podcast episode but it's a good article to sort of see what these groups are trying to propose because like in the reality of the situation in criminal cases not in non-civil courts in criminal courts 95 percent of rape cases that are reported like the alleged rapists never face a conviction so like the mm -hmm. large majority of people who are potentially rapists or who are accused of being rapists are never going to face any criminal charges for that and that's just the data that we know and have collected. Like the so the reality is is that the majority of the time, women and like gender oppressed people, like queer people, and then like th that's the majority of people who are getting sexually assaulted because that's the nature of gendered violence, obviously. And obviously, most of the perpetrators are men. This shows that gendered violence, in a systemic and interpersonal way, is one that favors men every single time. So, in a cultural mm -hmm. sense, to attack manhood and to question that position of power that allows that that system that allows these people to get away with violence again and again and again. That itself is not violence. It's it's the justified defense of a marginalized group. It's kind of similar to how sort of the right to self-defense that like the Black Panther Party sort of proposed in that it's like the state is a white nationalist state. So like we have the right to defend ourselves and you know, we like the cops go around beating up people all the time. So we should defend, we have the right to defend our communities or like mm -hmm. Palestinian resistance. Israel has its millions of dollars of funding for missiles. So Hamas is gonna throw some homemade grenade bombs and shit. Like that's, you're mm -hmm. gonna get a reaction from the violence, but then the disproportionate response that the state, the government, and the people in power sort of give to all of these situations, like with the Black Panther Party, the, you know, Governor Reagan at the time tries to peel back gun ownership laws and to restrict yeah. the Black it's Panther Party. It's the reason Party why California has the such strict laws. Gun laws. Yes. And then the media coverage and the political positioning that frames Hamas as the oppressor group, as the person, as God. the institution that is victimizing these poor Israelis. Like, it's oh given, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Whenever they try and like equate it, and they're yeah. just like. It's a both side situation, guys. Like, we just need peace on both sides. Like, I just want. Now, girl, we 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 all know this bo both sides bullshit is, is not whenever real. when the violence was like really like rampant. I think it was like over this past summer. I mean, it's been going on for like decades, obviously, but like when there was like just a lot of coverage mm -hmm. on what was happening in Palestine. I use that word loosely because it was mm -hmm. this like equating like it was such like mm -hmm. bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, so much of it, especially by like major news covers, where they're like how dare they say something kind of bad about Israel while they yeah. are currently like 
freaking carrying that genocide in an open air prison and there's like mm-hmm. how dare they mm-hmm. like and i'm just like girl <laughs> mm-hmm. have you considered that if you stopped doing what you were doing mm-hmm. then this wouldn't be happening this also kind of reminds me of people who think that it's like reverse racism is mm-hmm. a thing and that you can and like saying like making fun of white people and this like mm-hmm. overreaching generalization like saying like all white people have no lips you know yeah and then yeah. someone is like you That's shouldn't so true. make fun I, of i have lips my mom has lips yeah. <laughs> or like saying that that's like just as yeah <laughs> exactly and yeah. saying that that's like just as harmful of when white people make fun of features of any other ethnicity and it's like no that's not true and the thing is is that it's still funny so i don't know (laughs) i'm gonna laugh every time and i think that it's just like the only thing that i could see coming from like the dangers of misandry i guess is uh one of my peers in that gender theory class like brought up how some people could use it for like bioessentialist reasoning and being and thinking of manhood as something that's like biologically predetermined or like biologically mm-hmm. innate. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that we go about misandry, or at least for myself, is that I don't see it as like a biological trait, but obviously manhood is performed and created and carried out by men yeah. and people yeah. who are men because they identify as men and because of the benefits from patriarchy that they get and how they reiterate and reproduce patriarchal structures and actions and violence within their interpersonal relationships. And so for me, joking about men and manhood and thinking that men should not deviate from manhood because if you're going to create the patriarchy, mm-hmm. motherfucker, you better do it right and mm-hmm. not order a goddamn frappuccino in <laughs> my presence, okay? Because I'm not yeah. going to be living under patriarchy and then watch yeah. a man in a three-piece suit order uh-huh. coffee with whipped cream on top. Like, I'm just yeah. not going to live that reality. Yeah. And so I think that that more important than, like, being, like, anti-male or anti-masculinity and a way of being against mask people like Uh butchers and studs but Uh more in joking about and critiquing and criticizing patriarchy as an oppressive structure yeah yeah then like just like right all all masculine people are bad or all people who like masculinity are misogynist Uh it's like no i think people people who benefit from patriarchy benefit from patriarchy exactly and that's just not are harmed by it like and they should be allowed to make that joke because ultimately like if you are someone who is harmed by the patriarchy i think specifically in being queer because Mm -hmm. like fuck rad femmes but Mm -hmm. like if you were queer then i think that like if you were making fun of patriarchy and men in that way Mm-hmm. I just like I've never been in a space where that leads to like bioessentialist rhetoric so I could see mm-hmm. like being worried about that but obviously that's not what's happening because you were like saying like men shouldn't eat strawberry ice cream like that's <laughs> yeah. fine and correct and that's yeah. funny like your friend shouldn't have been butthurt <laughs> right. about that right right, right you know right. yeah liberal feminism is the predominant sort of ruling ideology that's acceptable under patriarchal capitalism that very much pushes this idea that any meaningful or even cultural opposition to manhood is a threat to civil society. That's what liberal feminism ultimately operates as, right? And because of that, that's why we get these reductive ass, actually bioessentialist takes that aren't necessarily turfy because they're not 
radical feminists. It, it's just liberalism, but that are equally weird and harmful, like the pussy hat stuff from like the Women's March. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like or that you was know, so cringy. What an era! What a fucking era, bro. Um, it, that, I just that think, was once the height of activism. Can you believe yeah, that? That was once crocheting a pussy of, hat. Yeah, that was yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, no, yeah, I, I think, like, that's the thing. Under <laughs> patriarchy, under liberal capitalism, there's mm-hmm. this assumption that women are, like, the are this quote-unquote biologically female creature that, like, is it's an in- mm-hmm. immutable social category. Like, sex is an immutable social category the same way that gender is. Mm-hmm. Judith Butler kind of talks about how gender isn't... It wasn't created on the basis of sex. Sex was created on the basis of gender, which mm-hmm. also is like sort of discussed in the Gender Accelerationist Manifesto as well, where it's like the superstructure and the base, like that has a relationship with gender. If you actually understand how this shit works and liberals don't and radical feminists don't and people who aren't Marxist don't and people who aren't, you know, don't center women and queer people and trans women and trans people and people of color and colonized people and black people, indigenous people in their politics, in their Marxist politics, you're just not gonna get it. Like you don't understand, you don't. Misogyny describes a structural phenomenon that also plays out interpersonally. Misandry is just describing an interpersonal phenomenon that's usually just like fucking jokes, right? Or people being like, ugh, I hate men, like as an aside. It's not, there's no systems that like create this, despite what any man or men's right activist group wants to tell you, like that's just not how the world works, you know? So if I am to do a criticism of misandry, I would say that I think that the way that misandry manifests in radical feminist communities or in just like young women right now who are like very angry and very online because they view and they experience gender depression or they think that they experience or they feel that they experience gender depression at most like that is what they primarily view as the oppression that they face because you know they're not marxist like you have you haven't really internalized the the idea of class society and how that functions a lot of white girls being like oh my god i hate all men or white women sort of having a disgust towards men that is just a thinly veiled way to just be like racist or an all-inclusive race blind sort of hatred of men it doesn't really make sense you can't think of every man as a rapist or a potential rapist and as these like horrifying monsters and creatures of like violence because that's how white supremacy works actually like white supremacy makes it out that certain men are seen as these like inherently violent rapist creature so you have to consider again how these other like systems operate you're just not going to if you're looking at the world from this gender essentialist or primary axis of oppression being gender point of view so if you're like a misandrist in that you think that gender is the primary axis of oppression and you really have internalized that and it's not really just like a cultural critique or comedy it's like well you know you probably just don't understand things but for those of us who do understand things, and because we understand things, we hate men. Like, whatever. Exactly. Who cares? Anyone who's anyone who is smart should hate men. Do you see how they act? Like, do you see the, do you see <laughs> the world that we live in? No, it's true. Because I was going to say, that was going to be my other point, is that I think, like, misandry in the hands of white women can be 
iffy. I think all white women should read They Were Her Property by Stephanie Jones Rogers, I think. It's sort of firsthand accounts of white women in the antebellum South and mm. their ownership of enslaved people. And I also think that you mm-hmm. should read Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. It's sort of like modern sort of amalgamation of a lot of Black feminist texts that are more that are it's, it's just easier like it's sort of like an amalgamation of what bell hooks and angela davis and all these other black feminist marxist feminist scholars have been saying for many years but written in a way that's pretty that's contextualized in a really contemporary way it was published in like 2018 or something and mickey kendall is like really big on twitter i'm pretty sure so it's like one of those things that's like it's very easy baby steps but it's also like it very much interrogates white feminism and white women and white womanhood as like a structure and of course all these other black feminist texts do as well but I'm recommending this book particularly because it's so contemporary and I do think it's a Mm -hmm. book it's a good book that like good nonfiction book that like white women should read along with They Were Her Property because that's just like a very heavy firsthand account of slavery and the relationship that white women had to like racialized people during that time and how that parallels today but anyway I just cut you off to say that what I was gonna say was very much along that lines because like the way that white women are able to utilize white supremacy over black men doesn't really like allow them or shouldn't allow them to say that like they hate all men in like a very racial blind kind of way and in all men are like equally dangerous equally bad kind of way mm-hmm. from like a particular position because i think we saw this um well we've seen this like multiple times like that's it's kind of like where i mean even though people have completely misused where karen came from but it's yeah. kind of like where the karens would come from especially particularly with the relationship between white women and black men because black men would be minding their business Mm-hmm. And then a white woman would just come up and call the police on them mm-hmm. and be like, I'm in danger because I'm a woman and there's this black man here, mm-hmm. even though they were not. And then we're able to utilize that. And that like comes from like a very long history. Like that's mm-hmm. not a new creation. And it's even in Birth of a Nation, like one yeah. of like the plots or even, I don't know, I've never seen them. I've, like, it's like three I hours long. But it's so like I've, I'm yeah. anyway. But it revolutionized but, filmmaking. <laughs> I and mean, that should tell you a first, lot about Hollywood. Um, it it was the first movie played in the White House. One of the like one of the really foundational plot elements of Birth of a Nation is the fact that this white mm-hmm. woman gets kidnapped and is about to be raped by like one of the this black man uh, who is an mm-hmm. actor in blackface. Yeah. and like she gets saved or whatever, uh, or or either by, she, like, that the or she of gets the like KKK or something. Yeah, like literally that. the knights. And see, that's the thing. The Birth of the Nation literally reunited what, what, the KKK. Like, re- literally was the birth of a nation it was uh <laughs> birth of a white supremacist nation and and, and exactly sort of, because one of the other really big things about a birth of a nation is that it was a reaction to reconstruction so it was sort mm-hmm. of portraying how now there were like black lawmakers and legislatures in office there were black men who could vote and also could run for office and one office and one of the scenes in birth of a nation is portrayal of black men in political positions of power but their like shoes are like off and they have their feet on the table and they're like running around like it's like a really racist portrayal of them obviously and but the thing is is that I remember I watched this like YouTube video that was sort of talking about how that was sort of asking the question like is 
the creator of Birth of a Nation, like, racist? Like, is he, like, a racist person? And, like, obviously, like, yeah, the, I, the, the, the I film gonna say, is like, racist. Is that a question? <laughs> but basically, like, it was sort of interrogating the intentions behind the creation of the movie and also the background of this guy. I, I don't even remember his name, but the guy who created the Birth of a Nation, he, like, Something he Griffin? didn't... He didn't have any sort of... He didn't have his own political agenda in making the movie. Like, you know how in a lot of, like, Nazi propaganda films, which is the inspiration for Mm -hmm. the Star Wars movies, by the way, like, the actual filming of that, that sort of, like, even portrayal of all these stormtroopers and stuff and those wide-angle symmetrical shots, like, that is... Mm sort of one of the first use usages in Hollywood that was directly related to like, Nazi propaganda films like that. And it's also because the woman who popularized that style of filmmaking, that of propaganda filmmaking using the military sort of imagery, she ended up working in Hollywood because obviously all, all the Nazis came to the US after the war. <laughs> If you don't know mm-hmm. that already, to work in uh, our science industry, media, arts, and culture. <laughs> the guy who made this Birth of a Nation, he like wasn't trying to intentionally be like, oh, I hate black people. I'm going to make this movie. I'm sure like he hated black people, but like probably not for the reasons mm-hmm. why he made the movie. He was just your average working class liberal like northerner, I'm pretty sure. Or he might have been, he might have mm-hmm. been like a southerner. I don't really remember. He was making this movie based off of other popular media at the time like of the newspapers like the scene of the black men in the legislative house is a direct reference to a newspaper cartoon portraying that all of the narratives that are that are portrayed in birth of a nation was just the predominant ideology of the south at the time that that they had created that was it wasn't new it was just sort of regurgitating what was he was trying mm-hmm. to tell the history of Reconstruction, like, objectively, through Birth of a Nation. He was trying to objectively tell the story of Reconstruction. And in doing that, he created the perfect emblem of the ideology of America, its view mm-hmm. of Reconstruction post-Civil War politics. Like, he was just trying to portray the objective narratives and realities of the time and that's why black activist groups were so opposed it so heavily because they were like that's not how history went like that's not this is not an accurate portrayal of history and everyone's acting as if it is it kind of reminds me of maybe even hamilton right like the way that it's seen as an accurate portrayal of history even though it is a very one-sided emotionally charged narrative that just portrays an interpretation of objective views from a historian right like yeah anyway back to misandry <laughs> no but it's like I'm, I'm specifying this for like the united states L, i'm realizing now that l didn't even specify if they are from the united states so it's possible that their historical references are different than than ours but at least like in the united states you can see throughout basically all of it, the relationship between, and the power that white women have over black men of all ages, Mm -hmm. is, like, they're able to wield white supremacy, and they're also able to wield sexist views of white womanhood, Mm -hmm. like, the fragility, Mm -hmm. the daintiness, we need Mm -hmm. to keep the white woman pure, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's very, like, 
uh, it's fascist ideology. It's the idea that white women yeah. only exist to be like white women are the breeding cattle of the white supremacist nation. They're the ones mm-hmm. who bring forth the white children of this next generation. Like so, ultimately, it is still patriarchal because it still devalues women as these objects to be pursued. But after. the white women who are able to utilize that against black men, like exactly. they're like, able, they know that white men see them it's a gendered violence that is like racialized exactly and they know that whether or not that's true about that individual Mm -hmm. white woman they know it benefits them it gives them power white men they know that that's how other people are going to see them that they know that that is the framework that they're able to fall back on Mm -hmm. when they want to be able to utilize that White women are not innocent of this because they play into the manipulation and up and upholding and perpetuating the idea of innocence in in white supremacist womanhood. And I think to be a white woman and to reject the white supremacist narratives around your gender, like part of that, part of that is the opposition of manhood and patriarchy and like white patriarchy. But that's mm. the thing, like, you can't really step out of line of that. Otherwise, you end up being the Susan B. Anthony's, the ones who view themselves as social reformers and liberators, but at the end of the day, prioritize their own interests over everyone else's. Because, like, Anthony was an abolitionist for much longer than she was a suffra- suffragette, but ultimately abandoned the notion of Black civil rights and african-american votes like in favor of white women getting the vote and she utilized the patriarchal narrative or the white supremacist narrative that black men were like mentally inferior to white women and women could Mm -hmm. be the mothers of a nation uh, that republican motherhood ideology she really leaned into that to try to get the vote for women I mean, it didn't really work, but, you know, one can try. And uh, that's that's the thing. <laughs> no. Like, it, it it doesn't, ultimately, it doesn't really benefit you. I mean, it benefits you in the short term and that you have power over someone else. But it's like, you were always going to have power over them, at least racially. Yeah. So to victimize yourself in every situation is just another tool and another element of the playbook of white supremacy. So. Yeah, so that's really, like, the only critique that I could think yeah. of of misandry in that way is in this kind of like racial blindness mm-hmm. and like you said that in a way that kind of serves as like thinly veiled racism if like white women mm-hmm. and girls are just saying that they like hate all men and not taking into consideration mm-hmm. how like race can play into that but in terms of what Elle actually presented and what her and her friends were doing I don't think that that's what's happening and like even if I did hear like a white girl say like men shouldn't order frappuccinos I would still think that's funny like that is funny because men shouldn't eat strawberry ice cream and order frappuccinos (laughs) that is fine yeah it doesn't matter Um, what race you are as a man you just should not be doing shit that's not for you exactly (laughs) exactly So I think, like, that's, like, it, but obviously, like, that wasn't what was happening, and also it would have been, like, so strange if, like, mm-hmm. that was the joke that was being made, and then the friend's mm-hmm. just, like, that could possibly be, like, telling, yeah. saying that black men shouldn't order frappuccinos is racist, and I'd be yeah. like, what the hell? Well, that was <laughs> not even mentioned. So- Exactly. Yeah, that would just be so No, and that's unrelated. the other thing. I think it's interesting when people, like, I, this is, the other thing, 
another staple element of season three of the pot. Words mean things. <laughs> Words literally True. mean things. Like like when you mm-hmm. say, "Oh my god, I hate all cis." white men do you really are you saying like are those the words you're really trying to say like why are you saying white men why are you saying cis why are you saying het like how does that inform Mm -hmm. your argument and the statement that you're making if you're making a generalization how does your generalization further whatever point you're trying to make like and i think like that's the other thing to reverse this when white men talk about women and you know the sort of attempting socially aware white men who make jokes at the expense of white women or who make fun of white women or even like Mm -hmm. men of color who make fun of the women in their own racial group like when you do that you're not punching up you are punching down because at the end of the day you are a man like why are you making fun of women because ultimately if you're talking about your own racial group you're just making fun of women um and I mean, some men don't even specify. They just say women in general, and it doesn't matter what race they are. They're just making a generalization about women. But see, they are also being intentional about the words that they use. If the oppressors of this world use words in specific and intentional ways, when they say white women, they mean white women because they are trying to evade criticism from women of color or try to appeal to themselves to women of color in their criticism of white women. Or if they say all women and they just generalize women, like they are making a statement either way, that is misogynistic. It shows us their viewpoint in some way. So when we talk about this shit, on the other end of this, like we also need to be intentional about what words we're using and actually say what we mean. I also think it's weird when women in general make a too specific claim about manhood or make a too generalized claim about masculinity because it's like you're you're not really saying what you mean. When you say, oh, I hate masculinity, you are thinking of one very particular type of masculinity. You're not, when I think of masculinity, I think of like butches, like you're, but you think that, do you think that masculine women have more power than feminine women? No, that's not how patriarchy works. When you conform to gendered standards, you conform to gendered standards and patriarchy does not victimize and marginalize you in that particular way because you're not deviating from gender conformity in in a way that other people are and then if you're just making the statement of like cis het men or whatever it's like do only cis men oppress you in this way like don't you think that any man who benefits from patriarchy anyone who benefits from patriarchy is can oppress you in a patriarchal manner like why are you saying cis het man like Mm -hmm. what's the real purpose here you know and do you Um, think that gay men do not (laughs) have any power to oppress you because that's also not true historically yeah i mean there are some cases where it is obviously especially when it comes to like gender conformity yeah or like i mean of course not that women can't be homophobic because they are and oftentimes like oftentimes women are also violently homophobic but men who are gay they can also oppress women like that's the other thing i think this is the other thing like your the way that you present and the way that you navigate the world has so much to do with like how you are perceived and how you choose to be perceived like there are so many men and men of power and men in power like senators and shit who are white supremacists right wingers whatever but they're like closeted or like they have grinders or whatever but they firmly reject Mm -hmm. the notion of them being gay because they're not gay but they have homosexual desires and they pursue them right but that doesn't mean that they don't oppress women and queer people in their day-to-day lives in fact everything that they do enforces patriarchy the trans misogyny of gay men and the way that gay Mm -hmm. men oppress trans women i think that's the thing gay men do not really get the same flack that lesbians do in terms of 
trans misogyny and getting criticized for trans misogyny within your own community when really Mm -hmm. it's like the relationship that trans women have to gay male communities the history there is so much more well documented and substantial than the relationship and history of trans women and lesbians honestly if you think about it like I mean Mm -hmm. not that there isn't connection there there's connections everywhere and there's I mean not to say there's not a history of trans like misogyny in lesbian communities there is there's Mm -hmm. also a history of trans misogyny in gay communities but like it's it just doesn't seem as hyper visible because at the end of the day we live in a trans misogynist world that sees all trans women as just like a form of gay men when like really they're not at all not to say that the material conditions and material realities that people will face like might not be similar or might not be parallel because that's the thing like in my day-to-day life I think that the way like my material conditions are very similar to that of like any other woman like (laughs) like genuinely any other woman like in the way that I navigate the world in a patriarchal manner um but that doesn't mean that I'm not gender oppressed in like very specific ways according to my sexuality and my gender identity and my race and whatever like I think that a gay man can face the trans misogyny of like being gender non-conforming in a particular way but not be not themselves actually be trans feminine right like you don't have Mm -hmm. to be something to like necessarily face systemic oppression from it because the people who benefit from those systems are going to benefit from them anyways that reminds me of the one comment section that i think you sent me a screenshot of of like someone who's being transphobic to me and I wasn't even trans and then yes exactly that's what I was gonna mention yeah like someone was gonna be like someone was racist to me for being Asian and I'm not Asian yeah (laughs) literally and yeah that still like happens and then there's another like TikTok that went viral of someone like commenting on on a girl's TikTok saying oh I thought you were trans and she's like oh I get that a lot like I'm not like she's a cis woman but she said she got that a lot and that she went out it was her and her best friend I'll see if I can try and find the original TikTok but her and her friend went out and her friend is trans her her friend is a trans woman and they're like these guys who like were recording her and or were recording them and like harassing them and uploaded it onto TikTok and like the uh, cis friend who's making the TikTok was saying, like, all the comments were, like, really transphobic to her friend, but, they, like, she was also getting transphobic comments, and she's like, obviously, it's different being transphobic to a trans person, but she's like, people, like, just assume that she's trans even though she's not, and it wasn't, like, an issue or anything, but she just, like, was commenting that that's just, like, something that happens in her life despite it not being, like, accurate to her, her particular identity as an individual. It kind of shows how arbitrary these like social categories even are because if your oppressor views you as something, even if you're not, you're gonna get treated that way. Like you're gonna get treated in that way in certain specific circumstances. Like oomph at Rain Corp. I don't remember if I've mentioned her on the podcast before. Oh, then, but she's- oh, oh, on 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 TikTok as well, right? Yes, TikTok and yeah. Twitter. Yeah, she like she's a writer and you know she's like big on TikTok or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. She is oomphy for some reason. I really don't know why. She <laughs> um, she made, she commented on one of my tweets about that screenshot that I posted that was like, this is so yeah. fucking funny that people are getting clocked as shit that they aren't even. Like, because mm-hmm. she commented being like, me when I go on dating apps and like men will fetishize me as being, as being Asian. And then when I tell them that I'm not Asian, I'm literally just Irish. Like, they start losing interest. And I'm like, that is so fucking funny. I also think, like, in a, in a more serious and, like, sad way, like, when men will hit on young women thinking that 
they are a teenager and then they're actually like a grown ass adult woman like they're like I'm 27 mm-hmm. or like I'm 32 and they're like the men who are hitting on them are like disappointed that they're not like actually 17 it's like y'all are some sicko freaks y'all are some fucking freaks y'all want to enact gendered violence and and racial violence in every which way like it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter like y'all oh my god Ugh. I think that's like if you're gonna talk about these topics talk about them and the way that they reproduce within interpersonal interactions but making jokes about men or manhood that are silly and flippant and like us calling Harry Styles dresses ugly because they are and saying that maybe he shouldn't be allowed to wear dresses (laughs) is like because it's funny and we are people who are oppressed under patriarchy and so while patriarchy exists and controls a heavy heavy part of my life I'm gonna have a couple jokes along the way I'm gonna make a couple jokes between me and my friends people are just gonna have to cope with that the whole thing like of like is it harmful frankly I don't care because I don't think so and my professor (laughs) in the class like at the end was like again using the language of the class anti-male sentiment or whatever can be harmful and the thing is that, like, I just, I just don't think so. I, don't I just don't think so. On, on the, and, and especially, like, in this way. It was because one guy was talking about how, like, some girls, like, wouldn't explain, like, I don't know, something that was, like, annoying to him. Because he said that they said, like, oh, you just wouldn't get it. And so they just didn't want to take the time. And, then, and he was, like, annoyed because it was inviting him into the feminist space or whatever. Women don't owe you an explanation for this shit because literally you wouldn't get it like you're not a woman so why do you want like you like oppressors always want in on the spaces of marginalized people like they always want to get into the club when it's like motherfucker you are the reason why this club even needs to exist so mind your fucking business like literally and it's just like people don't owe you and also like it's not your place to be annoyed or disappointed at because do you know how many times between, like, the ages, like, when a girl starts speaking to, yeah. like, 12 of trying yeah. to explain to different boys and men what they are facing, even before uh-huh. they know what patriarchy or sexism is, just, like, explaining shit, that by the time right. you get to high school or, or let alone college or just, like, in that age range... It's just exhausting. If you are just trying to have a key key and a man comes into the conversation asking you to explain to him why it is annoying or what happened... You just don't have the time. Yeah. Like, because you've tried already, and they didn't get it, or didn't believe you, or dismissed you, or just, like, they never got it. And so it's just like, do, let me check the time. Do I have time to try and get this through your noggin? No? Then keep it pushing. Like, let's just not, let's just not something to get your panties in a twist about, you know? And it's like, I don't think that's harmful. Like, okay... If if that interaction is the reason why you're, like, 3% less of a feminist or less of an ally to women because they didn't explain to you something, then you didn't ever actually care about what feminism or liberation for women and gender-oppressed people would look like in the first place. Like, right. if you are a man and you want to know about some specific thing, read a fucking essay. Go to yeah. a lecture. Yeah. Ask the women in your life to have a genuine conversation about, or, like, do the work. And be like, hey, I read this in this lecture. Is is there mm. something like specific of like what would be like mm. a, a day-to-day thing that I would like look out for? Mm. Like what would be the appropriate, you know, 
way to go about this or whatever. Something like this. Something that's like actually fucking useful. Y'all want easy answers to complex situations that you created and you want us to give it to you fast and quick. Like, motherfucker, I'm not And you want us to have you. already come up with it. Like, we're just trying yeah. to fucking... Like, if women and gender-oppressed people just existed as they existed and foregone all of, like, the survival tactics that you learn or the different coping mechanisms or the ways to code switch or present yourself in a way that's tolerable to society, that all that happened, it would be violence every day. There'd just be no survival. You have to learn how to survive. So the idea that the people who are creating this oppressive system have the audacity to ask the people who are learning and trying to survive under these oppressive systems to give them the answer... To the shit mm-hmm. that to the problems that they created, I'm sorry, but fuck all the way off. Yeah. Like when white people come up to me and ask me, be like, "How could I be a better white person to black people? How can I be a better, a better anti-racist ally?" <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Leave Read me alone. A book. <laughs> like it, it, like the the quick answer. If you want a quick answer, turn around and walk away. <laughs> like stop yeah. talking to me because like stop even the mere asking. Me. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, we walk away, give the money. First of all, uh, be like, I'm going to start trying to be like, I'll give you the answer for free. I have the answer to stop racism if you give me $50 (laughs) right now. And then they do it, and then I'm just going to be like, just walk away. Right now, to me, in this conversation, just turn around and walk. That is the best way to be an ally to me, is to stop talking. And that also reminds me of when you're talking about how like, these men's right activist groups are like trying to use like gender discrimination laws to like protect men whatever mm-hmm. right that's like so annoying i remember like i had a conversation with my boss and he was talking about like hostility in the workplace can be used either way to protect white people that's the thing so, about like, civil if rights you are, law if you are it is always black in the workplace yeah, and a, and a white person sees you as, like, being, like, a hostile co-worker for the basis of just being a black co-worker. That's, like, a legitimate thing. Like, I mean, obviously, if, like, the boss doesn't call bullshit or something like that. Like, white by people the book, can be, like... By the book, by law, like, that is mm-hmm. applicable. Even though that was even something that was, like, conceptualized or thought of because of the hostility and the bullshit that black people and people of color had to face in the workplace with their racist ass coworkers, and now just being black in the workplace or having any type of opinion about race especially if you work in like a social job like a job where like part of your job is socializing with people you know that's not like production or labor or fucking engineering or something like that the fact that white people can be like the black people here are creating a hostile work environment Girl, girl, like, I I don't have the time. Like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's in hell. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> please, please. Like, how all the white liberal feminists are like, may she rest in peace. And you're like, may she be in hell. <laughs> yeah. Part of the way that she created the foundation that is civil rights law for gender equality in the United States is that she defended men in court, a lot of men in their cases, mm-hmm to create gender equality because that's the thing like in order to create that legal precedent of men and women being treated equally by the courts she also had to prove cases where men were treated differently than women in a legal setting to create that precedent but like the thing is is that when men are treated differently from women it's like not because of because of like patriarchal oppression it's because they benefit from patriarchal oppression 
Like, that's mm-hmm. just that's just the truth, you know? That's the thing about civil rights law. It reinforces equality when we live in a world that doesn't need equality. That's, mm-hmm. that's actually not what we need. We need liberation from these oppressive systems. Exactly. I mean, before then, just, like, fucking equity. Like, specifying who, big picture, like, framework speaking, is the oppressor and is the oppressed. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that legal context because... I mean, even though, like, it never would. Like, hello, we're talking about the United States here. But, like... Yeah, law is white supremacist fundamentally. It's just so bullshit. But anyways, I'll play this clip for your friend who's like, it's harmful to men and you're creating false toxic masculinities. Do you know who who made toxic masculinity? Men. So I get to make fun of their bad invention, okay? If someone (laughs) has a bad invention... You're allowed to laugh at it. If someone makes mm-hmm. something that's shitty, you should be allowed to say that it's shitty. And guess what? The patriarchy is shitty. And if men can't do it, then I'm allowed to laugh at it. Ha-ha. It's like not only are did you create it, you created it and now you're not living up to it. So it's embarrassing on many levels. Like the product it's itself kind of like, is bad and now you're you're exactly. using it incorrectly. It's like when like white people are ugly. It's like if the beauty standards are Eurocentric and you're European... How are you ugly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How mm-hmm. are you are you not giving yeah. when it was specifically designed mm-hmm. for you to give and yet mm-hmm. you're not? So when men it like if men is a graded performance that can be ranked and and critiqued, yeah. I am the one I am the one giving out the grades. And guess what? No one's passing the final. <laughs> no one <laughs> this this no one's passing there's going to be a set number of people who can get each grade and I'm mm-hmm. the one handing them out mm-hmm. and there's only I'm seeing a lot of D's and F's in the room okay? <laughs> and I'm allowed to make that joke so uh. that's all that I have to say about that so now getting into the second part of the podcast where we talk about shared media something that Sunny and I both consumed together uh, to talk about for the pod And this week, for this week's episode, we're talking about the 2004 rom-com Saving Face. Although, there are funny parts, but the the sad parts are so sad. I'm like, isn't this supposed to be a comedy? It could have done with a little bit more comedy and a little less heartbreak and stress, (laughs) in my opinion. God. But it's very good. I loved it. I thought it was so good. Um, it reminds me of well, so the person who made it, Alice Wu, she also made that Netflix movie a couple years ago called The Half of It, which Renaissance hasn't mm-hmm. seen because Renaissance hates teenagers. A common runner on the podcast, my hatred for teenagers. It also reminds me of The Farewell by Lulu Wang. I'm pretty sure because of the sort of intergenerational family diaspora sort of discussion there and you know an elderly family member like the politics of having an elderly family member and your parents and like all of those people under one roof or in in one space in one community at the time and of course it's also like about Chinese people and like a Chinese young adult woman who is trying to figure things out saving face just the I mean I gave it like five stars renaissance gave it I think four they were oscillating between like a 3.5 too, which is so evil and sick yeah. to me. This movie is not a 3.5 star movie. Like, 
you have you are deranged you are unwell you are like i'm so you also gave professor marston and the wonder woman 3.5 and to me that is a five-star movie that movie is mid come on it is so mid this movie is nowhere near mid that movie that (laughs) professor marston and the wonder woman i i will literally go to war for that movie and to me that is a that's just because that movie's horny you're a horny person Okay, well, we're going to get into that with Saving Face as well, because the women in this film, oh my god, the women in this film are so gorgeous, like, there were so many scenes where I, like, I had to remind myself to, like, focus on the plot, and, like, remember that they're speaking, and that they are giving me, an audience member, information uh-huh. that I will need to remember, because I was just like, ugh. They look so good in this scene. Oh my gosh, they're so pretty. Oh my gosh, the outfits are so good. Oh my Please. gosh, your hair looks so pretty. Like, so many of the characters. That's true. Saving you would just, just comment on their appearances gorgeous. every now and then. <laughs> that is I true. I would, like, especially, like, in the beginning when they're, like, introduced. Like, I wasn't, like, used to, like, seeing uh-huh. them. And then, like, the camera would cut to their face and, I, and it would take my breath away every single time. I'd be like, oh. So gorgeous. So gorgeous. Uh, Okay, so basically, here's the context for the film. It's like the early 2000s, there is this girl named Will, and she she is Chinese-American from Flushing, Queens, in New York City. Her dad, like, died, I'm pretty sure, when she was much younger, but her mom lives with her grandparents slash her mom's parents in like an apartment in New York and they're very engaged and insular in the Chinese American community. Will is a doctor, like surgeon, and she ends up in Manhattan as well. Yes. Not in Queens. Because she goes to Queens. Yes. For and she lives the community. Yeah. So she ends up running into this girl at Chinese dance event, basically, like a little potluck situation. And at the beginning of the movie, she's there with her mom and her family, and this beautiful girl walks in, and they end up... Gorgeous. Gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous. (laughs) And that girl's name is Vivian. She is a ballet dancer, contemporary Mm -hmm. dancer, uh, with the New York City Ballet, and she's, like, taking a year off for a sabbatical to go do, like, modern dance, which is, like, her true passion. And they end up sleeping with each other, dating, whatever... And all this stuff comes up because... Also, another major plot point is that Will, the main character's mother, is pregnant. And she's, like, in her... She's, like, 48 years old. And obviously she's not married. And <laughs> it's, like, a huge taboo mm-hmm. in the community to be unmarried and And no pregnant. one knows who the father exactly. is. So, like, that's also one of the big questions throughout the entire movie is, like... Or especially for, like, Will and her relationship to her mom because, like, she is... The one taking care of her mom yeah. during all because her mom gets like kicked out the of her mom's parents' house because of yeah. this. So it's ultimately a fa- it's a story about family, specifically like intergenerational family relationships in Chinese families, and it's also about coming out, but also the sweetness of like love and a meet cute and. There's a little, like, childhood friendship line as well, too, where Vivian is like, remember when you did this <laughs> when and this Vivian and this? recants every single detail of the first yeah. time they met, and Will's like, I have no memory of this. And yeah. he's like, remember, because you were wearing this, and it was like, yeah. this exact yeah. time of day, and then this happened. Yeah. 
And it, it was, was like, funny. they were like she eight or nine years old. Like, Vivian has been, and that's yeah. the other thing, like, long-time love is also a huge theme for this movie. Like, people who have been in love with someone else for a long time, or people who who are in illicit affairs. Uh, <laughs> like, and... That, oh my gosh, we will get to that point. <laughs> I mean, I think this movie is very, our love lasts so long. It's very Marjorie. Mm-hmm. It's very... Um, it's, it's, it is very illicit affairs. It's very champagne problem. Yes, it's very seven. It's very, mm-hmm. there are so many, th- like, thematic elements of this movie that are so central to the things that we talk about on the podcast, I feel. It's so good. I loved it. And it was also such a delightful portrayal of, like, a Chinese-American community that I haven't really, like, seen before. Because in Alice Wu's other movie, our main character, Ellie, in the half of it is like the only non-white person or the like the only asian person at her rural school but obviously this is flushing like this is a chinese american community in new york city and Mm. so there's like a whole dynamic of the aunties like getting involved in like there's so much drama and gossip and all of this and this inter-community sort of like these dynamics that felt so true and also the family relationships also felt so real and so true the passive but also the aggressive elements like there's this there's this like play on like no one can really say the truth because if you say the truth like you would be losing face and that's the thing the the reason why this movie is called saving face is that in China, like also a lot of this movie is in Chinese. That's another reason why I think it's similar to The Farewell by Lulu Wang. There's a lot of dialogue that's in Mandarin just because it's, it's a Chinese community. Like no one's speaking English to each other. Why would you? I also thought that it was interesting that our main character, Will, speaks to her mom in English and her mom speaks to her in Chinese because that's how I am with my mom as well like I will <laughs> I will speak mm-hmm. it, and it's weird either and I will switch into Chinese at some points like Will does but I oscillate between English and Chinese with my with with my mom but she always speaks to me in Chinese and I would find it weird to listen to her speak to me in English so like I thought saving face in Chinese there's like a phrase that's like very commonly used there's also so many different idioms and metaphors and stuff that the older Chinese people like will just say and translated it like doesn't really make any sense like you'll read the words on the screen and it's like okay why are you talking about like leaves falling or whatever but it's just like a saying Mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's just like sayings that imply a certain meaning I I mean also because I speak Chinese like I there are some translations that I was like, that's not right. I mean, a lot of the translations, oh, yeah, I was like... I was like, going to mention that, which I loved. It, like, especially in the beginning, like, almost every other line that was said in Chinese, especially by, like, the older characters, you were like, that's not what they said. Yeah, I mean, and I would, like, th- pause throughout and the rest like, of the movie, I was thinking that, it. too. I was thinking, there were so many other points, I was like, that's not what that person said. But it doesn't really matter, because I guess it was, like, the point was got gotten across, but it was just, like, a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who did this translation? Like, anyway, a thing that is said a lot in Chinese is, like, diolian. Like, and it literally means, like, losing face. Obviously, what it actually implies is, like, you're, like, humiliated in front of a community, basically. It, it really has a lot of weight and intention and meaning. Really, ha- like, having to live up to a reputation or everyone knowing your business just because it's such an insular community is, like, it was so... It was so real and the movie plays with that so much like what are the expectations mm-hmm. that how do you save face in 
any given moment, like in the sticky situations that you find yourself in. And what's like the thing to do versus what's the thing that you that is morally correct or that like you actually desire doing. I mean, for Vivian, it's like she's saving face in doing classical ballet. But what she actually wants to do is like modern dance. The will is saving face by like not not being explicitly out and gay. But what she really wants, like, obviously she wants to be with Vivian. And her mom is saving face by not saying who is the father of her child. And, like, everyone keeps asking her, but she's not saying it. And it's to save face because it's it's humiliating for her, be, not because it's objectively or morally wrong to be gay or for her to be pregnant, but because of, like, the social standards of the community that they're in. Like, you can really tell that Alice herself has been in a lot of these like situations or is very familiar with the dynamics of a community like this and the way that like older Chinese people interact with each other, how Chinese moms interact with each other, how like matchmaking happens. It's very, it was very like funny to see. Even though it was oscillating between 3.5 and 4, I did really, really like the movie and I, I didn't expect it to be the way that it was because I've always seen it so heavily tied to Imagine Me and You. And it is not like Me and You, surprisingly. Like, I, like I, the way that it was always pitched to me, like, I definitely understand the recommendation. Like, if you have seen this movie and you like it, then you should watch Imagine Me and You. And me having watched Imagine Me and You first, like, Saving Face is a good recommendation. Like, I understand it, but they, like, I don't know if someone said this or like this the way that I was understanding it was like it was almost as if Imagine Me and You was like a ripoff of Saving Face like as if they had like taken the same plot and then just like put it in England and that is not the case of what happened what I thought going into it was just different but then I ended up like obviously loving the movie and I thought that it was really good I mean obviously I'm not Chinese like I don't have any first-hand experience with the Chinese American community but it did make me think of it positively because you made a TikTok responding to a comment criticizing like Euphoria for not having Asian characters. And you're like, why would you want, <laughs> why would you ask for something that you know that you're either not going to get or that would not be good? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And talking about just like how people who ask for more Asian representation on shows or in projects that obviously would not provide good Asian representation, like, why is that a complaint? I thought that this movie was from just, like, an outsider perspective. Like, it if just I feels genuine. watch something, it just, it just felt like, oh, the people who are in this movie, like, the actors and the creators and the way that it's written feels authentic to that community in a way that's not, like, pandering to, like, the, uh, like, Americans at large or, like, white people at large. Like, mm -hmm. it's not a... Uh, movie about like the Chinese American community for white people mm -hmm. like obviously like you can watch it and enjoy it like you don't mm -hmm. have to be Chinese to enjoy the movie mm -hmm. but like it just felt very real yeah. and that I really appreciated because there isn't a lot of great Asian or specifically Chinese <laughs> like especially like Chinese American media like that is like in yeah. the United States or in Queens and then like most of the movie is in Mandarin which I also just didn't expect from like the recommendations and I thought that that like oh like that makes sense like it wasn't like it took me back because mm -hmm. it didn't make sense mm -hmm. and I think it also would have been like very strange uh -huh. especially if like the older characters and stuff just like started talking to just in be English. speaking <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah especially like 
And, like, the dance scenes are, like, when they're, like, in their home or, like, all together. Mm-hmm. Like, why would they right. speak English? Right. And they didn't. And that made sense. And that was a good call, especially mm-hmm. probably because, like, Alice Wu has experience in that community. And mm-hmm. she knows that no one would be speaking English mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that context. Yeah. So then they didn't. And so I think, like, for those reasons, like, it was a very strong movie. And also it's on a lot of, like, gay movie recommendations uh-huh. and gay movie list yeah which it is as gay it should be. because of like the will and vivian mm-hmm. plot and it is but i thought it was going to be like a gay rom-com mm. and it's more the, of like, a family so saga the, yeah it's it's much more family and community like oriented with like the gayness being one element of one it. yeah and so I, I like going into it i also wasn't expecting the mom's pregnancy plot line to be like as major as it was mm-hmm. and obviously it was and it was a good plot line like Mm -hmm. i'm not complaining but that was just like another aspect where i think it was like so much bigger and i think that's also why we both enjoyed because like it kind of touches on i think in our like wrap-up episode where you're like you don't like things that are like just about like gay or like just Mm -hmm. about sapphics but this the gay storyline is like within the story of like intergenerational relationships and in a very specific community and i think that that's like what makes it as good as it was yes definitely following up our last episode where we, where we were talking about last night at the telegraph club which is obviously also about chinese american communities and like the insular situation there yeah. with the back with like the sprinkle of a gay romance <laughs> alongside like another parallel yeah. is that i think like we do see like a butch femme relationship in saving face I was going to say that right. as well. It's just that our butch is like, she's gender non-conforming in that she's more of like an awkward boy than like a <laughs> self-assured butch. It's more that she's not great at femininity mm-hmm. than she is at Intentionally being masculine. Butch. Yes, yeah. yes. She's just like awkward, but really good at what she does. But like, she's just kind of socially awkward. And the way she stands yes. is so strange. She stands like the standing emoji. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? True, true. <laughs> yeah. Where their like arms are just like awkwardly slightly out mm-hmm. from their sides. Mm-hmm. And, like, her posture is always just, like, slightly off, but, like, for no really discernible reason yeah. as to why. Yes. She's just, like, whenever she's standing, all of her muscles are engaged all of the time. Yeah. Which she is locked It's kind of, like, tight. referenced yeah. in, in her first scene when Vivian is trying to teach her how to fall. And yeah. she's, like, fall. And she's just, like, standing there and is, like, she's a brick. Yeah. Like, all of her muscles are yeah. engaged. Only yeah. when Vivian is like up leaning in to try to kiss her that she does does she drop to the floor. She's like, oh, she freaks out. Collapse. Um, yeah, like she and I said that's relatable. That's <laughs> Vivian took one step and I was like, I would be on the floor. I would be out. <laughs> Please. I Vivian. Oh my gosh, especially on like their first date scene, so gorgeous, like so stunning. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. Like I couldn't look at her. Like it was. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't. Vivian throughout the entire movie is just so gorgeous. Yeah, she's and Will. Yeah, she's pretty. Um, Will's hair never leaves that goddamn ponytail. Never. That's literally what I was about to say. I was like, should we talk about Will's ponytail? Like <laughs> the third character, the third person in this romance is Will's goddamn ponytail. <laughs> that. They're literally fucking, and her ponytail is still in. Girl, what? It's so like whipping, and it's not even like doing your hair in a ponytail like ariana grande like yeah that girl always wore ponytails but it was like she did her hair 
Will, it always looked like she just, like, threw her back into a ponytail, which, you know, kind of makes sense. Like, she's not super feminine. She's like, a surgeon. She like, <laughs> right. on the go. But it was the way that it was never tight. We never see her tighten her ponytail. We never see her put her hair in a ponytail. Like, when she's at it's home... It's just perpetually mom, in a ponytail. We never see her actually acknowledge the fact that her hair is always in a ponytail. She has these wisp... Like, it's, like, wispies in random places throughout the entire movie. I'm just like, if you do not redo your ponytail and tighten that shit up, (laughs) it it bugged me. It, It also bugged me that the ponytail was in the exact same place, like, in every single context. Yeah. I think we, we, let's play around with parts, like starting with <laughs> Let's play around with angles of where the ponytail is on our head. Yeah. I think that could be fun. And I just have a question of like, because obviously like you shoot a film over like multiple days, weeks, possible months. How was the ponytail at the same level of exhaustion, uh-huh. location, and wispies uh-huh. throughout the entirety of the movie? Yeah, yeah. Like you had to have done it. Yes. So I just, it was, it was. At that point, it's like it's intentional. It really it is. That the actress, like, what was it supposed to inform us about? <laughs> well, I think like, like wearing a ponytail seventy five percent throughout the movie, fine. Uh-huh. Wearing a ponytail from beginning to end, yeah. What the? Why? Why? What is the purpose of that? I think Alice Wu in the half of it, Ellie, the main character in the half of it, also wears a ponytail the whole time. Never takes it down ever. At any point. And I think that Alice is really... Both of these main characters are these awkward, young, Chinese-American gay girls who, like, are not that effeminate and are mm-hmm. are struggle socially, but are very intelligent. Like, both of these characters are like that. So I think she... It's a self-insert-like character. You know, the way Sally Rooney writes these characters that are very much just her. Like, I think that's what she's mm-hmm. doing in this as well like she probably is the kind of person who just always has her hair in a ponytail that's like kind of loose and like perpetually at the same place which I don't find unrealistic because I know like I was telling you right after we watched the movie that I know like Chinese girls in my life who are gay who always have their hair in a ponytail at the same angle in this Mm -hmm. like genuinely like it is a thing like it's really a thing because i think like this is the thing most chinese girls have hair that is just like straight and glossy and thick and like it'll it always looks like that it just always looks like that i mean i don't have that type of hair my hair is like more texture and curl to it but if their hair texture was like that and the majority of them like were like their hair just always looked the same, especially if they didn't really care about their appearances that much. It's like you have that default look that you go for because you know you're not feminine. Mm-hmm. Like, you just have that look. Like, and you even see this with, like, mask lesbians and stuff where it's like, they're always wearing a backwards baseball cap or they're always wearing a headband or they're always wearing... Like, they just all they have that look because it's the default because, like, the thing about masculinity, I feel, is that it doesn't really alter, whereas femininity is constantly trying to change, at least in terms of aesthetics. Like, like, and we see that even with the feminine characters in this movie, the feminine characters are always, their, their looks are always changing. But like, the masculine characters look the same. Like, in every shot, they look the same. Um, and it's because how they look isn't really supposed to be that noticeable, but because Will is a woman, and like the main character, it, it is noticeable to us. I do really like 
the movie. I really like Vivian as a character and I think the way that the social detail that Vivian's dad is Will's boss mm -hmm. at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so that adds another I love layer a of trope like people like that. that they can't like filled with tropes and I love mm -hmm. it. It's so good. I thought it was so funny, especially when Will's at the hospital and then Vivian was obviously went to like console Will and then like mm -hmm. walks in her dad is there like right outside mm -hmm. the elevator. Yeah. I thought it was funny. When Will learns that Vivian's dad is her boss and she's like she says something about how there's like a billion chinese people but we're all like two degrees of separation yeah, yeah. like she cannot escape yeah the community like because even when she goes on the train even, to go back to work or whatever the this guy chases mm -hmm. her this mta worker who is the son of a man who like is an herbalist for the Chinese American community will always like stops her and gives mm -hmm. her herbs throughout the movie there's these like little motifs that we see again and again we get used to it visually we get used to it in the plot and then it'll kind of like blow up in your face and it's it's fun it's smart um I also think like the one scene where she's like bursting in on the wedding that scene reminds mm -hmm. me of the scene in the half of it. Like, if something very similar happens, essentially. It's so obvious that the same person made these two movies. Like, it's aggressively <laughs> obvious. Like, and it's so, I mean, it's so obvious. Like, there's so many parallels. It's crazy. Like, mm -hmm. you, like, you wouldn't get it because you haven't seen it. But, like, I'm telling you, it is... Uh, it, it's so familiar like watching this movie it, I mean it felt like something different but it felt very like it felt very familiar it felt like an amalgamation of a lot of different media that I've consumed before but particularly the other movie that Alice Wu made and like these are the only two movies that she's ever the, I think these are the only two like projects that she herself was like created so I'm like curious to see her other what else she's worked on between 2004 and like fucking 2019 or what whenever the half of it came out like what was she doing between then that's how yeah. it also felt with angela robinson because the only other full movie that she's made besides professor marston and the wonder woman is deb's which came out like also right. in the early 2000s and i'm like how right, does right. one career-wise go from deb's to the professor yeah. <laughs> to professor marston because they're such drastically different movies and that I'm just like, how, what happens, like, those kind of directors, because there's, like, directors that, like, make a movie, like, every year, mm -hmm, or, like, mm -hmm. every three to five years, and, like, you constantly know that, like, once they finish this project, like, a next project will come up, and you can, like, see Like, your ghost, over. or... Yeah. Yeah. Like, so many people are like that, but not, not, not and our then, faves, so, alas. It's probably because they're no. women, honestly. Like, it's it's probably because they're women of color, to be honest. Like, that's True. probably why. Because I keep saying that I liked it, and I did. The reason why I was waffling between 3.5 and 4 is not because I didn't like the story. It was more of, like, the movie itself. Like, there are just these long moments of silence, which I talked to you, or I mentioned, like, right when we finished, and sometimes, like, in the movie, where I'm just like, someone say something. Like, <laughs> I understand, like, taking a breather. Like, there's breathers in movies. Like, constant dialogue is not always good but especially like in the first time when Will is running and she bumps into Vivian and they're just like standing there for what feels like 15 seconds of standing in silence which is so long in in movie time like if you think about it mm. and then Vivian finally hands Will a hot dog right mm -hmm. and you think she's gonna say 
thanks mm-hmm. or nice to see you mm-hmm. fancy bumping into you something mm-hmm. no more silence mm-hmm. and then they're just staring at each other and then they sit down and then they just take a bite of the hot like it there's so much just like slow moments like that interesting they kind of like eat up this film time that i'm just like i feel like there's a way to economize this i feel like there's a way to take a breather without this long of a moment with silence i think that they need to be more like poignant like i wish that it was like that long silence was happening in a much more like tense time i'm like okay will just stopped on her run and now they're gonna have a little snack together like if it didn't feel like a place to, like have this very punctuated silence so it's like moments like that that i was just like mm, and it happened often and then it was it was more just like pacing things i guess for me but then once i feel like the movie has really established its rhythm especially in the later half of the film then you kind of get the visual language of the film a little bit more when we were like establishing the characters and the plot especially in the beginning there were scenes that i felt like had a lot of information that were super short or really like punchy and then there were scenes that i feel like didn't carry a lot of information or didn't need to be as long as they were that were like really drawn out and so that yeah. kind of like yeah i feel like that like is pacing very much alice Wu's like directorial style and writing style <laughs> like i think that that's what she does mm-hmm. she she alternates pacing really abruptly. And for me, mm-hmm. like, I, it wasn't noticeable to me at all. Like, I, and I felt the tension in all of the moments of, of, like, silence. That's me. That was just how I felt watching it in terms of, like, pacing of the movie. But in terms of, like, the acting itself, all the actors, I think, like, I love the performances in the movie. Like, I don't think anyone fell short in terms of mm. their performance in the movie. I love the story i love early 2000s films like just the aesthetic Mm. of the early 2000s i think is super i don't know it just makes like not to be like hashtag nostalgic but it's just i like it i think also i love movies where the plot wouldn't work if there's better technology because i feel like the whole like matchmaker thing if you tried to like remake this movie it'd be about like making your daughter like a dating profile account or Mm -hmm, something like mm -hmm. that or like trying to set up a like digital dates and I don't like those kinds of movies and so Uh this idea of of like her mom like she goes to these like dance things like every week or like every other week and like each day she's bombarded or like each time she's bombarded with like these guys and in real life that she actually has to dance with and stuff like Uh that like I like stories that have to do with people actually occupying the same space together yeah that doesn't happen all the time nowadays in movies yeah so like for all those reasons i really adored the film yeah and i love the the aunties or who i would call chismosas the the chismosas of the film i love because they're in high drag their hair pressed (laughs) their face beat their outfits accessorized Uh like i am obsessed with them (laughs) because anytime they're in a scene it's like something is happening and then it cuts to them where they're kind of on the outskirts just Uh constantly gossiping and talking about the people (laughs) that they are just watching like in public like in real time just talking about them and like cross-referencing the information and other like chisme that they've gathered yeah I, Which I just love and I feel like that's a very universal like every mm-hmm. community has the mm-hmm. the gossiping aunties in it in some way they function in a very similar way I told you that the salon scene really reminded me of Nome Diga in in the heights not mm-hmm. to yeah invoke Lin-Manuel Miranda 
But like in terms of like no, I was, corny New York City diaspora my... stories, you know, it's like it yeah. falls in line. But anyway. I really liked them as characters. I felt like they also just brought a lot of like the humor and yes. the levity of the rom-com yes. and on the comedic side. Yeah. I thought that they really carried that, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Oh, there was the one scene that I just want to mention because ties to Last Night at the Telegraph Club, mm-hmm. which I said when we were watching the movie, when the mom goes to the DVD shop mm-hmm. and the like guy behind the counter is like kind of oh, like yeah. racist to her yeah. because she asked where the Chinese movies. And it reminded me of the Telegraph Club where every single white person or non-Asian person uh-huh. that Lily would meet would say something racist or just uh-huh. assume that she doesn't speak English for like no reason. Yeah. Despite and the fact that they both maybe, live in cities that have like a high Asian population. <laughs> no, I'm like, you run a DVD shop obviously in New York mm-hmm city and you've never seen an Asian person yeah. come into your store and ask for mm-hmm. movies. You live near a Chinatown, mm-hmm. like you live near Flushing where mm-hmm. this community lives and you're like What did you no. think about like the side characters? Like the non family members and stuff? I thought like the neighbor was fun. The yeah. black neighbor. The black neighbor. <laughs> the, the dinner scene with the mom. Oh my. Ver- okay, but like that par- at the beginning versus towards the end. Yeah. Where again, yeah. there's three people at the di- at the at the dinner table, but it's Vivian I that was this a time. Fun parallel. Yes, it's Vivian this time, and she's interrogating her, and and like her mom is like just so smart and like intuitive and mm-hmm. can really like pick up on things. So I thought that it was funny to see that blatant contrast between at the very beginning of the movie where she's like super racist to the neighbor, but the neighbor doesn't know because mm-hmm. he doesn't speak Chinese. Like, <laughs> And like, mm-hmm. it's also just because she's like deeply unfamiliar with non-Chinese culture, like and, and sort of conventions and stuff like to her. It's mm-hmm. like when you walk into someone else's house you take off your shoes. And when you sit down and you eat at their eat their food, you eat it in a certain way. So when someone walks in and like acts a way that like, she's just not, she's baffled. She's not, she's just mm-hmm. very confused. She doesn't interact with people who like, who look different from her in a very obvious and particular way. Cause again, she, the only people she interacts with are other Chinese American people in her like community. So she's like saying all these. And they mentioned that she's never like lived alone. Right. Like, she went from living with her parents to living with her, her dog. husband and <laughs> yeah. child to then living back with her parents uh-huh. and then moving in with her child yeah yeah. so yeah so like she's very sheltered like i mean as much as she is like intelligent she's also very sheltered and i think like that's the other thing as portrayed in this movie that's a very like chinese is the fact that your parents parents are always around or your kids kids always around like to the rest of the community is going to see me as a horrible daughter if i don't take in my own mother like because her friend is like why Mm -hmm. are you letting your mom live with you like that's kind of weird she's like no I have to I literally must by the Mm -hmm. social and cultural conventions that versus at the end where she's you know she stops feeling that need to save face where she is like no mom you can't raise your kid in my apartment you need to find your own place like Mm -hmm. you need to you can't just Mm -hmm. invade in my own space and like take and then you know carve out room for yourself oh you can't do that and she she finally like creates those boundaries and actually like goes after what she wants 
And she enables her mom to do that, but her mom also enables her to do that. So it's just like a very tender relationship we see. The mom's relationship with the neighbor, like as, as it develops, it was so like sweet to see because like mm -hmm. it's like one of the only like non-family or non-Chinese community member relationships that her it's probably the only one she has and has ever had you know what I mean like it's probably the only mm -hmm. and so to see that all develop, no that's why I I really enjoyed it because like the mom is like very racist to the neighbor uh -huh. but it's like you said she's just very sheltered yeah and it's in Chinese. Mm -hmm. She's not doing it because, like, she's, like, trying to make him, him violently feel bad. from the table yeah. or, like, out of the apartment. And Will is just like, Mom, just, like, stop. Right. Like, like, right. It's like, have you considered that it is because he is American? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As to why he's, he's acting like this. this way? Yeah. And, that is, yeah. and that is fine because yeah. that is where he is from. Mm -hmm. And... And then, but like you said, if the mom was just like racist to the neighbor mm -hmm. and like throughout the movie, she was only racist to the neighbor, mm -hmm. then it would be like, oh, the mom might just hate black people. Right. But right. instead, you see, because she's racist in that first dinner scene mm -hmm. and it's like uncomfortable, but also like nothing really happens yeah. to the black character. Like, yeah. Like, he's, he's not, ignorant. He, he's, he's just like, he's just there He's enjoying his dinner. meal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's having a fun time <laughs> with his neighbor. Right. And then... Throughout the movie, you see their relationship kind of grow, and there's actually kind of like this sweetness. Mm -hmm. It was a very cute detail for a non-family member slash non-community mm -hmm. member in the movie. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think it was good that it was like a non-Chinese character, mm -hmm. but like a not not a white yeah. character, I think. Yeah. Which like, as like, there's a lot of range of like who that could be. There's right, a lot right, of right. non-white people in the world. Uh-huh. But I thought that that was strong. And I also thought that the parallel between that dinner scene with then followed up with the scene with Vivian was interesting because, like, the neighbor is a man. Yeah. And so you'd think that this mom who's, like, obsessed with, like, pairing up her daughter would kind of, like, pick, like, would try and force the vibes. But when the three of them, there's zero romantic vibes. Uh -huh. Like, it's three yeah. people yeah, yeah, yeah. having a dinner together. Yeah. When Vivian goes, who could be just disguised as a friend uh -huh. and under like heteronormativity yeah. could be oh, we're just cast friends. as a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mom doesn't bite for a yeah. second. Not for a <laughs> she single second does she that think shit out. <laughs> that Vivian is there just as friends and for uh -huh. the dinner. She knows that there's a stunt. Yeah. She can't put her finger yeah. on it, but I'm pretty sure she does, especially by the end. Yeah. Because she's like, oh, well, actually, there's a neighbor. Ma'am, you know good damn well that you did not get any romance yeah. vibes off of that neighbor. Yeah. And you know that Vivian is going to say no to yeah. that setup. Yeah. And so I thought that that was so interesting. And also the way that, like, Will reacts in both those scenes. Because she's, like, it, with the scene <laughs> with the neighbor, she's, like, kind of annoyed that her mom's uh -huh. saying, like, out-of-touch things or whatever. Uh -huh. She's just, like, casually, like, eating her yeah. food like a normal person. Yeah. But here she her is mom choking. and Vivian at the table? She she, the bowl is up in, like, you don't even see her whole face because her she's holding the bowl in front of her face yeah. and shoveling yeah. the food in. And then it's, like, this point where she's not even eating because yeah. it was, like, the chopsticks. And you just see her just, like, tossing the food, like, inside the yeah. bowl with the yeah. chopsticks, like, not knowing what to do while, like, Vivian is just, like, trying to, like, speak yeah. to her mom. And she's stressed. Yeah. Like, she can't cope. Like, yeah. she is about to like fling herself out of the apartment like she literally can't handle <laughs> it and it's so funny because like in reality like the conversation that they're having very normal mm -hmm. very like just regular oh what do you do for a living mm -hmm. da, da, da. 
and the entire time Vivian or Will is just like stressed this, just, like, as sweating. hell like both not <laughs> it's uh, so it's so funny yeah oh and because like at that point in the movie Will is still like saving face like yeah. closeted yeah taking taking care of her mom mm-hmm. all of that and the mom obviously has been like kicked out of her parents house mm-hmm. but like hasn't said the name of who the father is like mm-hmm. is also still trying to keep this like respectability mm-hmm. but then vivian she's the one who like kind of like lives her own life and mm-hmm. when she asks what she does she's like oh, and also it's because vi- it's because i'm doing like modern dance yeah it's cause- and then the mom's like so not ballet. Yeah, she all she immediately picked up on that and enforced those sta- community standards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that Vivian is able yeah. to diverge from those standards a little bit just because her parents divorced when she was younger, and because of that, she faced yeah. ostracization from the community, and her both of her parents did for like a long time. So she kind of knows what yeah. Will's mom was probably going through because she probably was around sim- in a situation similar to wills when her parents when her mom was going through something. and like we see that too because mm-hmm. because vivian literally says yeah i was taking care of my mom when she was really depressed uh, and she like liked these things so i would get her this and they're you know walking around it's so key that the people who pair off together are the people who pair off together and like the fact yeah. that the person that she ends up falling for is another person in her community, someone she grew up with, someone whose parents know hers, like someone whose dad happens to be her boss, even though she didn't really know, she didn't really know that she just like, I I thought that that was all so real and sweet. Like, I feel like that is way more common of a phenomenon in just the world than like a than necessarily like interracial or outer out of the community and inside of the community relationships are where like you're breaking not only the taboo of a same-sex relationship but you're also breaking the taboo of dating outside of your own community like we see in the last night at the telegraph club mm-hmm. and like a lot of other movies right stories where it's two people from like different cultures and they have to come together and like part of what brings them together is that they're both gay like no these girls they are in the same community they're in the same spaces all the time and like it becomes an issue because at the end of the movie she's like you told me that my ex wouldn't be here but she is there you know like i also think that like the parallels between the first scene and the last scene where it's like all the people in the community gather like they're all dancing it's awkward people are standing around like people are paired off there's the family members and stuff versus the end of the movie where they are you know, like in between the credit scenes like the credit cuts the credits cut in and out of the scene where like the mom is finally with the man that is the father of her child uh and mm-hmm. vivian and will are together and they're like sitting together and they're like they're, it's just it's joyous and there's nothing being really hidden there's no secrets there's nothing being held at bay because people aren't trying to like save face like uh they don't it's all everything's out in the air at this point i also love that little comment Mm -hmm. at the end that's like well at least she's marrying a doctor about like her vivian's mom talking about vivian getting together with will like (laughs) the classic Mm -hmm. stem gf dance like art (laughs) other gf like so cute like they totally are like a sun and moon situation one is bold and artistic and fiery and charming one is very reserved and awkward and like very smart and high performing at at her surgery job like they are so opposites Mm -hmm. of each other but 
because of that, they're like perfect for each other. It's so cute. I literally love them so much. They're yeah. so cute. And I love the mom too. The mom is so adorable. Like love her so much. Yeah. I love the mom. The mom is also gorgeous. Yeah. The actress who plays the mom, they said that she's 48. I didn't clock her as the mom in like the <laughs> beginning scene. Uh-huh. Because she like her skin is like flawless. Yeah. Like actually flawless. <laughs> Like, there's no sign of aging uh-huh. past maybe 27 uh-huh. on her skin. Yeah. Like, it just, it doesn't exist. Which I think is good that they had to, like, explicitly say the age of the mom. Uh-huh. Because the whole time, I would have been like, why is it a shock that she, like, got pregnant? Uh-huh. That is a woman in her mid-20s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, why Please. is this a hullabaloo? So they had to, like, look into, like, the barrel of the camera and be like, this woman is 48 years old. Yeah. Talk about why this is surprising yeah. that she's pregnant because <laughs> she is gorgeous. And the outfits that she wears for her dates, that date montage scene, I love every single every single dress, amazing. The way that she does her hair, I'm like so true queen, mm-hmm. so true. Yeah, like she's gorgeous. But yeah, I definitely love the story and also like Vivian being like the femme and uh-huh. then Will definitely being like more butch uh-huh. and more mask and i think also her being called will i think also yeah. like clued us into that because yeah. i think her full name is like wilma Wilhelmina. but everyone yeah. calls her will uh-huh. and so like the first moment that they called her that i was like oh like she she is the mask one yeah. here yeah and so i i thought that that was like a cute a cute nod to that kind of dynamic yeah but there is a scene where Vivian says Alyssa affairs. Yeah. And I just like in a sentence. And I just need the listeners to know that Sunny and I both gasped <laughs> at the exact same time in the movie. Please. Like we both like we both knew we're like, oh, Alyssa affairs. Yeah. 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 And then there's this other scene where it's like Vivian's birthday and Will goes to the door. Uh-huh. And Vivian's, like, kind of upset at Will or whatever. Uh-huh. And so Will starts to walk away. And Vivian's like, well, you're not going to, like, stay. Yeah. And then I just started all you had to do, all you had to do was stay. Stay. Yeah. Stay. Yeah. Had me in the palm of your hand. Yeah. It could have been easy. Yeah. All he had to do was Oh, my God. I also think, like, like, if we're going to assign so Taylor Swift songs to this, I also think very dress-coded because of that, especially yeah. that scene where she's, like, in her birthday dress and she's like upset yeah but it's like oh my god no like their relationship is simultaneously so like sweet and also like hot and also like fun but also like sexy like it's just so cute and lovely and amazing the first time that they kiss um i was physically warm (laughs) physically warm the tension that led up it's my little gay body to handle (laughs) and then like their sex scene i was just like they're really doing the damn thing like like this is in the movie (laughs) wow yeah hi and it gets interrupted by the mom on the phone the like the relationship between the romance and the family like how family interrupts romance it precedes romance it bars romance from happening it manipulates romance like it's just so true to life i feel like especially in such insular and culturally 
tied communities. It's like, yeah, it's in, there's no way for you to go back to where you were raised and for everyone to not be like scheming over who you're going to marry. Like, that's just how it is. Like everyone wants to set you up with their kid. And it's just like accurate. And also the way that we see the mom have to go put away with her sense of losing face to actually get what she wants and deserves in opposition to your parents. It's like a chain event reaction situation where it's like, you see that these these the parents of these kids have so much love for their kids but they also like they mm -hmm. can't abide by the way that their kids are and who their kids are the same at the same time the kids love their parents so much but also like it, they know that part something inherent to them is not acceptable to the, to their parent and so they have to do something about it and at the it's like at whose expense does that cost like come from and then like how do you just like cope with that like it's hard to like change people's minds it's not impossible but like as we see in the movie but it's just like it's hard for people to adjust to things and um people will react in ways that are very hurtful as we see again and again but it's not it's no one's fault really like it's not you can't just blame it on a toxic or abusive dynamic there's a whole culture surrounding the, uh, mm -hmm. upholding certain standards of conduct. That dynamic reminds me of like Encanto with the way that Abuela Yes, keeps, um, yes, and how everyone like characterizes like, her as a villain even though she's just a person. Like, well, okay, it's the white people who, right. I don't I don't know. I feel like anyone who has a, a family dynamic where it's complicated, love, like especially like an older member uh -huh. of the family but who obviously kind of rules like either like this is, you know, the community and, like, mm -hmm. with their parents. And then Abuela is obviously the Abuela, mm -hmm. the grandmother of the family, like, who runs the house. Even if you love her, she is also the one who runs the house. Mm -hmm. And even though the Abuela loves all of her family members and, like, Maribel very much, she also has an entire community yeah. and entire, like, a small economy exactly. <laughs> that is yeah. based yeah. around her yeah. family having this magic yeah. and the house being able to do what it does and people who cannot fall in line, that is going to be an issue despite all of the immense amount of love that's going both yeah. ways. Yeah. So... Yeah, it is definitely, definitely similar that, like, to how the grandparents act towards the kids. Mm -hmm. And I also think like this movie doesn't trivialize the reality of a Chinese American community. Like it, it doesn't reject mm -hmm. it. It doesn't say, oh, this is bad and we can't do this. Like the Chinese American community needs mm -hmm. to like change in this way. It's like, no, like a community is a community. And as a community, it moves collectively. And it also is like not something that you can just be like, this is wrong. It needs to be destroyed. No, like people are just living in the way that they do. But like she kind of, our, our filmmaker kind of explores like the texture and the complexity there where she like criticizes and interrogates the social structures and limitations of that scene but at the same time there's like humor to it and there's love to it as there are, and there's joy to it as we see in like the dance scenes and the way that these aunties gossip and how like but the gossip mm -hmm. and the dance scenes also reinforce that reality that's like yes there is social pressure there but it's just because that's the nature of how humans interact with each other like yeah people are going to judge other people and it's going to affect the way that they treat you and we see that again and again and again in all of these scenes but it's like at the end of the day what do you choose saving face 
or uh, do you choose like what, what you really desire? And at the same time, these things aren't completely separate either. You can, you can have both. Like you can, you can be loved and valued by your family and community and also be with who you love is ultimately what this story is saying, which I, I love because I hate a diaspora story that says this whole diaspora community is awful and bad and evil. We need to reject every element of it because it's homophobic and sick and bad. Like, I don't like storytelling mm-hmm. like that because it's so reductive. But here, it's and like And that's not. what the TikTok where you're like, why are you going to ask for Asian representation mm-hmm. that is not going to be mm-hmm. good or accurate or what you want? And why I think that this is like a very good fresh perspective of that because I think a lot of other media or pieces where there are Asian characters in non-Asian settings it's often projected as like them rejecting their Asian community in terms of to have probably like white friends Uh or assimilate into like whatever aspect of white culture or even like I think really early on we talked about how people don't associate like gayness with like Asian men Uh and things like that for other reasons and I think that this movie talks about the dynamics like of the community without saying that the community is bad Mm -hmm. or saying that these dynamics are bad Mm -hmm. and therefore the Asian community needs to like a a complete like revamp Mm -hmm. like a PR team for for the flushing community you know like it doesn't say that or imply that in any way and that's not like what the resolution of the film is at all like the resolution isn't will leaving the community and ever talking to her grandparents or her mom again ever yeah. you know yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. like and the resolution of the film isn't that the mom gets exiled and isn't allowed to see mm-hmm. anyone from the community ever again or doesn't want to or ends up learning that they never liked being a part of the community anyway like that's mm-hmm. never a point in the film and that's mm-hmm. why I also think that it's good despite like obviously these pressures that they feel are from the dynamics of the community it's not any particular fault mm-hmm. and it's not that the community that they're from is inherently bad mm-hmm. it's just like yeah that's the dynamics that are there and so that's also why I thought just like in terms of a movie that's like not like this is a cultural movie yeah. but obviously a movie that is informed by a dynamic yeah, yeah, yeah. and especially with the director coming from that background mm-hmm. it just makes it a very realistic believable like fully flushed out film in that way mm-hmm. it that, doesn't like, feel hollow isn't... it doesn't feel like it's pandering it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a cash grab it's just like cute I, honestly i think that the complexity with which family and romantic relationships it, it are dealt with kind of reminds me of like fleabag almost like not in tone or anything but like the way that mm-hmm. the resolution it's like it's a happy ending but it's sad because of the circumstances that necessitated everyone getting to that place. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just, it's sad, but it's happy. But that's life. Like, it, you can't have everything, but also you can. And it's just like, whoa, it's like those contradictions are so, that's like, it's that's what's beautiful about like this type of media that explores human relationships in this really like tender way almost. That's all, that's simultaneously very humorous. Anyway. Do you have a recommendation for me? I do, but I need to ask if you've seen it before. If you have seen it, <laughs> I might have to think a little bit about uh-huh. a recommendation. If you haven't, so it's Big Little Lies. Did you ever get a recommendation? No, 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 no. I haven't read any Lane <gasps> Ma- Moriarty oh, either. You haven't read the book either? No. Or the books? I think it might be. Okay. So Big Little Lies. I'm recommending, of course, the television adaption, like I always do, but... 
everyone adores that series. Because it's so good. It's so freaking good. It's so good. And it was on HBO. I don't know if it's a book or book series, but a like book. season one only covers a section of it. First of all, the cast, fucking banger. We got Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, Zoe Kravitz, Laura Dern. In the second season, we have Meryl Streep, and Shailene Woodley is also there. So I have seen amazing... the screenshots. I do know. I do know. I do know. Yes. It's an amazing cast. And it's not completely related to Saving Face, but there is this big secret that everyone has to keep that you don't really know what the secret is until the end and that is the motif in which i'm basing this recommendation i see i see (laughs) off of because i don't have anything else that's more related that you also haven't seen and that i haven't already recommended so yeah it's very very good it's a mini series but it's two seasons because season one was so successful kind of similar to fleabag in that way season one was so successful they're like okay we'll do season two it's very much a drama Mm. like there's, like, laughs here and there, but it's it's not a dramedy. It is a drama. So it's these white, rich women moms and how, like, they are the ones who, even though, like, their husbands are the head of the family, they're the ones who are, like, actually putting in the they PR work shit. for their family. Yeah. And the way that they are perceived versus the reality of their home life behind closed doors but then also seeing the scenes of the moms talking about what they think of the other moms. And, like, you, as the audience member, seeing behind closed doors, you're like, mm-hmm. you could not be further from the truth. But that's the way that everyone treats those mm-hmm. characters. It's definitely just, like, the dissonance between what you say in public versus what you say at home and how you treat people in public versus how you treat them at home. And how the truth eventually comes out about all the things that you might not want out. But obviously in a much more thriller, white, suspenseful kind of way. And not in a rom-com, closeted yes. gay surgeon, ballerina yes, yes, <laughs> way. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I have two recommendations for you. And they're both books that I've read sort of recently. I have to backtrack on something I said a couple episodes ago about how I don't like sapphic romances. Because I like the I like this love lesbian romance a lot. Like I really liked it. Like it was so good. Um, <laughs> and that was the Perks of Loving a Wallflower by Erica Ridley. I think I sent you a the, the what the Perks of Loving a Wallflower by Erica Ridley. The Perks of Loving. I was gonna say I was like I know another very similar title that is yes. not a lesbian romance. I sent you a screenshot <laughs> of the cover of this book, and you were like, "Oh, that's cute." It's a Regency romance, and it's so fucking cute. But it's similar to Saving Face in that it's that perfect blend of, like, sweet and, like, sexy, where it's, like, there's explicit sex, Mm -hmm. and, like, there's a lot of really... There's, like, so much tension there, but it's also fucking adorable What how everything... There's also the parallel of, like, one of them has been, like, lusting after the other for, like years and the other person is just completely oblivious <laughs> to them but also thinks they're really hot there's so many tropes in this it's like it's actually crazy how many tropes there are and they're perfect every single one of them per- found family like fucking uh, secret identity like fake dating like everything but it's like the regency sort of version of that and there's also that side plot that that like 
there's a another storyline that's really integral to I mean there's two I mean okay this is the other thing it really parallels this movie now that I'm thinking about it because one of the major themes of the perks of loving a wallflower is that our main character who's femme not the butch one the femme one has this really and she's she's in her 30s so like she's a wallflower in that she's someone who is in society but people don't really notice her they don't think of her as an it girl they're just like oh she's a wallflower she's like just someone you know that Mm -hmm. you don't really notice but because of that she hasn't really married anyone because everyone that her parents want her to marry because her parents are like social climbers in that they're like nouveau riche type people and her dad Mm -hmm. is in the parliament in the house of commons and he like wants to climb politically so they need their daughter to like marry into nobility basically because they're not of the landed gentry so basically because of that like they need her their daughter to get married to someone of a certain social status but she is not interested in men at all and like she doesn't really have a word for it she can't really describe it as but at the beginning of the book she's just like all these men they're not exciting. All my friends talk about how they like hook up with dudes or whatever, or how they like want to, but that just does not really interest me at all. Like, and she's like, mm, I wonder why that is. She's like 32, like has never wanted to have sex with a man. It's just like, mm. so <laughs> like, <laughs> I wonder if there's a word no, for that. No, literally. And so our other character is like, she's like working class. She's like from the gutters. She's an orphan. And she's like in this big found family of like scammers. They're not just (laughs) scammers. They're all, they like work as a team as all these siblings who like basically go like solve crimes and whatever together. But they, but her big Mm -hmm. deal is that she can change into all these different costumes and she can like act. So she basically dresses up as a baron who in real life doesn't exist because the actual Baron died and the Baron had like a relationship, like a fatherly relationship to all of these kids. So, but the thing is, is that he has always been like distant. He's like from the Balkans or whatever. So no one in London society has really seen him. So she can take on his identity and be like, oh, I'm him. And everyone's like, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> and through with that identity, she ends up courting this girl, but she's not a high enough ranking to really court her. Her mom is just like, oh, just like, just let the Baron court you so that way everyone can look at you and then you will get better offers. And it does work. Like her her mom's manipulation and scheming does work. But I think by the end of the story, she Mm -hmm. does have to end up doing that thing where it's like you choose your love or your community that we Mm -hmm. see in this movie as well. So it's just such a cute romance novel. And it's like not too long. It's That does sound cute. It's only like 350 pages. The other book I wanted to recommend is not gay, really, but it does kind of deal with the family and, like, sisterhood and, like, trauma and intercommunity dynamics. Uh, it's called Sabrina and Karina by Kaylee Fajardo Anstein. This is a short story collection, and it's about indigenous mestiza sort of, like, communities and realities all centered around like Denver mostly sort of like that area I mean each different short story is like follows a different set of characters in a different community but it's all kind of in the same vague like community and and an identity so many family dynamics and stuff that go on like the title story Sabrina and Karina is about these two cousins one of them has died and the other is a makeup artist and she does the makeup of her (laughs) dead cousin like who who is like you know about it's an open casket thing but her cousin died Mm -hmm. because 
I'm pretty sure an abusive relationship or something and in their family mm. there is like a history of being murdered and abused like, like girl after girl after girl that's just one of the examples of one of the stories in there but it's a great short story collection it's like very well written we, we there's perspectives in just it's really good and like de- coping with addiction coping with a with a family member who's who is an addict like trying to navigate like your identity within a university so yeah highly recommend both of those books very different but like both enjoyable reads they sound good thank you very intriguing like diff- but for different reasons yes i think that's my superpower i feel like i can pitch a book to anyone and make them want to read it i can sell a book <laughs> to any mm-hmm. anyway i can't i can't do that for shows and movies Ha. Because for mine, it's really resting on do you find these people also attractive? And are you willing to watch them act for the reason being attractive? Like for me, I'm like, this movie has everything. It's gay. There's women. If you ask me a reason why I should watch it beyond that, I can't, I can't tell you. Oh my god, this bitch. <laughs> Please. But with that being said, that is what keeps people listening every episode. <laughs> And thank you again for listening. (laughs) What keeps people listening every episode? The difference between our pitching styles. You can pitch, you know, media. And I answer the quick questions. Is it gay? Yes. Are the women hot? Yes. You should watch it. You just list off the actors and you're like, No, I do. Like my pitching style is like, this is the cast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand how people watch things not for the people that are in them but i guess it'd be hard in a book you'd really have to like tell them about the plot uh yeah anyway that is all we have for you today i hope you enjoy follow us on twitter at the lavender pod and on instagram we are the lavender Lavender menace Menace pod Pod. on tiktok you should follow us as well the lavender menace pod because we finally are out of our ban era so we can start posting again yes and you should follow us on letterboxd where you can see all of our ratings for the movies that we watch for the episode and also if you want to listen to another movie episode we have all of our lists there you can follow me on twitter at renaissance the first is an x and on instagram at renaissance marie Sunny, where can the good people find you? You can find me on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter at a sunny book nook. Slay. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.